And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's a Friday payoff edition. We need to start calling these payday shows, Ari. These are the ones where bets get paid off, and usually I'm the one losing. I mean, well, you, you had the death chip, so... I lost the worst possible way to lose. Okay, you might have lost more, but my payoff was the worst, right? That was pretty terrible, and I'm glad the death chip is completely off the table for me. <laughs> so I... Uh, I'm very happy about that. I thank you, LSU, right? They beat Mississippi State, which that that win looks more shocking the, the further we get past it. So you're I'll, lucky I'll that bet it. wasn't next weekend. That's exactly right. So I've got to pay off a bet. We had a bet on the Iowa Penn State game. I was feeling very good about it uh, midway through the second quarter, and then everything fell apart. Uh, poor Sean Clifford. Taken off the field, Will Levis would have been the guy who came in, but he's now leading Kentucky to a 6-0 record. Uh, poor Taquan Roberson gets just thrown to the, the best defense in the country. Here, have your way with this young quarterback. And that's, that's why I am now uh, going to drink mayo coffee, thanks to our, our man, Mr. Levis. So this, is, this is a Will Levis creation. He did it for a TikTok video, and it looked like he wasn't actually drinking it. But we have since our friend Alyssa Lang had him on her show out of pocket on the SEC network. And he did prove that he he will consume this. Uh, and then Alyssa tried it and she was not pleased. She had a barf bowl, Ari. I don't have a barf bowl here. Uh, I'm a little worried about that. If anybody you needed a barf bowl when mayo's involved, it's you too. Because if anybody who watched the last time, you had to take a spoonful of mayonnaise. I feel like that was harder for you than the death chip was for me. And I think that you are assuming that the coffee is just going to mask it because you like mayonnaise as an ingredient in other concoctions. I do. But like, how do like, I eat pimento cheese without throw? I love pimento cheese. Like, I don't understand this. Yeah. I, I think mayonnaise is amazing and everything that it creates is even better because of it. But um, yeah, we'll see. How, and how much are you going to drink? Well, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to have some sips, I guess. Cause okay. If you watch the Levis video, he is, he's squirting it in there pretty liberally. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to squirt it in there pretty liberally and I'll stir it up and then I will attempt to drink it and then we'll see what happens. But before we started recording, I think you hit the nail on the head. Either this is going to be super easy or I'm going to vomit all over my screen. It's, it, I mean, there's no in-between here. I don't even know what I'm rooting for because there was nothing more. I mean, I guess it was cool, but nothing more disappointing than you just smashing through that banana with the peel on it like it was just a regular <laughs> banana. Everybody was just like, this it is was, what I tuned in for to just see Andy eat a banana. I, I know. I know. And I apologize for that. But we're not going to fake it on this show. No like, faking it. Th- there's nothing. This is We are authentic here at the Andy Staples Show and Friends. We don't give you... Anything but the real, real. And that's what this is going to be. So whatever happens with this mayo and this coffee, that's what it's going to be. So I guess we should get going. I have um, 
They they were out of the uh, squirt bottles of of mayo at the grocery store. Uh, my wife called and said, uh, "I have to get a bag. the The squirt <laughs> bottles are bogo, so everybody bought them all. So I have a basically a bag of mayo here. Uh, that of looks course, like something that you would see in a coffee shop. It does. It looks like it kind of looks like a like a big Splenda container or something. It so, does. Uh, I I don't. I don't think it's going to taste as good as the Splenda, though. And I have I have my coffee. Uh, it's it's I'm trying to show it to the screen. It is you know basic black coffee. I didn't put any cream or sugar in here. The nothing to to try to mask the taste of the mayo. The mayo will be the cream. Uh, yeah, this is a uh, this is already starting to seem like a bad idea, but. I lost the bet, so here we go. All right, we watched Will Levis kind of squirt it liberally into his coffee, so here we go. <laughs> Still going. All right, that was kind that's of a probably lot. enough. That was a lot. That's yeah. probably. He did a, like three healthy squirts, and I think the action on this receptacle is different. So, so the idea is that the mayonnaise is the cream, and that it will melt into the. Is how hot is your coffee? Uh, it came out about 10 minutes ago, so it's it's at a good drinking temperature right now. Uh, this doesn't look good. <laughs> Is it dissolving? I'm going to show it. Not really. I'm going to show it to the camera. I may be off mic for a second here. How do you look, camera? Whoops. There we go. All right. It's getting <laughs> everywhere. So <sighs> don't worry. There's still plenty of mayo in there. Are we ready? I think we saw a good enough view of it. I, I'm ready. I don't know about you. I'm not, <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. All right. Here's to you, Will Levis. Please stop. Do Actually, let me give Will Levis a suggestion before we start, because Ari tends to follow Will Levis's lead on these things. For your next TikTok video, Will, I want you to eat as many ribs as you can. Just <laughs> tons of ribs. And that's what I'll get to do the next time I lose a bet. All right, here we go. All right, so it is now. It's it's congealing a little more into the into the coffee. Uh, it's it's kind of a tan and white surface here. So let's let's give it What's a shot. What's the strategy? Are you going to go strong and fast, or are you going to try to go slow? I don't have to chug this. The, the, finishing the cup is not part of the deal. No, so. I know, but like you're going to try to swallow it as fast as possible. I'm just going to try it. We're ready. Here we go. That ain't bad. Ari, that ain't bad. That ain't bad. If he goes for a second sip, no problem. Dude, it's good. I don't know what Alyssa was, was talking about. This is good. It smells terrible because it smells like mayo on top. But the, when the coffee mixes in with it, it tastes fine. It actually tastes like... A creamier half and half. You know, like when you put heavy cream in coffee? It's it's very similar to that, that level of creaminess. Um, and then you get a little tang from the mayo, which, you know, you, you wouldn't have to put sugar in it. So I guess if you're doing keto, this might be a way to go. If you think it improves the coffee. Now, there's some lingering in my mouth, like in my throat, in my mouth, some mayo flavor. That is now causing me, like, or maybe because I, I have the, the container of mayo open, or maybe I'm just smelling it from the top of the cup. It's, I'm about to gag. And so I, it, it's the, 
Maybe it's the smell of mayo that does this to me. Maybe it's not the taste. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like he just had no... Oh, now we're going in for a third sip. Drinking it is fine. Like, drinking it doesn't bother me. If I, now, if I sat here with the cup under my nose, I would, I would retch in like 10 seconds. But the taste is... Like, this tastes good. If you could find a way to mix it in better so that you get the smell out, I would drink this every day. <laughs> yeah, it's a, like, it's a good. I held my a, nose on that sip. What do they it call it? Fine. What do they call it with the, the keto? It's a fat bomb. Right, exactly. They and I've done the butter in the coffee like they do. I just don't think that tastes that good. The butter in the black coffee. It is nice. I mean, it's very creamy and everything, but it just doesn't taste that good. Did Will Levis do this because he's a psychopath, or are there people on the keto diet who actually do this? Well, I think he's a psychopath. Okay. I, I think we we're, we've pretty much established that, and I, I think he'd pr he'd proudly say that. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see. I'm happy that you didn't. I mean, vomit. he's willing. Will Levis is willingly putting himself in in front of Jordan Davis this weekend, so I think we know where he falls on the you know worry about his own health scale. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I, I am happy that you didn't barf. Uh, you know, it's good. I think it'd be better for the show if you vomited, but you know, I'm happy for you personally Probably. that you didn't. It would have been great for the show, but again, yeah. we're not going to fake anything on this show. We don't, we don't fake anything. What you're getting is the genuine article. And I will tell you if, if you want to go and like the longer it goes and the more it dissolves, the better it gets. Cause it like, remember how I said that it was kind of tan on the surface with uh, like a little bit tan with a lot of white. Now it's starting to break up and it's mostly tan with just a couple flecks of white in there. So the mayonnaise is kind of breaking down into yeah. the coffee. It's good. It's good. <laughs> okay. All I think right. you could be done with that though. So there we go. We know, Hey, if I want to do Mayo coffee, I can do it. So it is not, Mayo in anything else. It is mayo. It is the smell of mayo and, and maybe the taste, but definitely the smell. Yeah. I, I think that like mayo doesn't really have that strong of a smell, does it? Uh, like I said, if I, I have this mayo container here, and I actually may have to move it so we can finish the show. Like, if I smell it, I will dry heave. Well, and it probably wouldn't be dry heaving because now I have a belly full of mayo coffee. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know what? You're just slowly introducing mayonnaise into your system. And then the more you do this, the more likely you will be able to enjoy things uh, across the board in, in the world. Like you don't like Thousand Island dressing or tartar sauce, right? Hate Thousand Island dressing, hate tartar sauce. But the I like creamy Italian dressing, which is very much the same thing. You know what they do in Utah? They call they, it fry. They call Thousand yes. Island fry sauce. Just and and mix, think they invented it, yes. Mayonnaise and ketchup is an elite thing to dip your fries in, and you never get to enjoy that. Oh, I would not enjoy that. That would that would be awful. Why would I ruin perfectly good ketchup with mayo? It just makes everything better. In other countries, they, they do it. Like I they'll know give how you the Belgians do it. What, what are the Belgians given the world, really? Like, we invented the airplane, the microchip. The interstate highway system. Have you seen that? that what have uh, the Belgians given us except waffles? <laughs> That's a pretty big and, contribution. And fries, and fries you can dip in mayonnaise. I mean, those two are bigger contributions to me than the highway system. But uh, <laughs> did you see the microchip? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you see the... Uh, in, we invented in the, the iPhone, Ari. The iPhone. <laughs> the, the 
condiments aisle now sells ketchup and mayonnaise mixed already. Like oh, Heinz well, they, has a Heinz has a, Heinz has a whole series of mayo mixed with other things. They have it mixed yeah. with sriracha. They have it mixed with you name it. And and like that's my favorite thing that restaurants do is they think that you are not capable of ingesting full strength sriracha, so they cut it with mayo. Like any sort of sriracha dish from a mainstream restaurant is going to be cut with mayo. Like, just put the sriracha on there. Yeah, well, some people just don't uh, enjoy the spiciness of things, so I understand that, and I'm never going to make fun of anybody. As, as for, we know, yeah, I'm I, never going to make like fun of anybody for having right a, now. <laughs> a low tolerance for spice ever again. Uh, but, you know, okay, well, I'm happy you got through it. Do you want to talk about college football? We probably should talk about college football right now, and, and we got a couple games on Friday that we need to talk about. Clemson is at Syracuse. The last time the Tigers went to the Carrier Dome on a Friday night was 2017, and Clemson lost. They did. They didn't know, according to according to uh, Dino Babers. They didn't know. This is a tricky, tricky game. Um, the, the question here with Clemson to me, Andy, is how far do you think that Clemson has fallen? Because even though they have clearly fallen from the uh, basis of what we expect from them, which is greatness, have they fallen so low that they are a lower tier, middle tier ACC team this year, or are they just no. not as good as Alabama? So, like, they're that's not as good trying. as Alabama. They're fine. So, so they're it, still it, pretty good, you know. And Cuse right. is coming off a really exciting win last week. No, they're coming off a devastating loss. They should have. They were very close to beating Wake Forest, but they lost oh, it in oh, overtime. You're right. I'm sorry. They came back in in a very exciting way, and I yes, you're right. I forgot they lost. Um, now I, I say I say devastating. Syracuse has been very you know very much. I will say better than I expected this year. Like I I did, I thought this might be it for Dino Babers. I think Syracuse has been pretty good. Like I I watched the entire Liberty game. Uh, Garrett Schrader's been been very good at quarterback for them. And, you know, it, it, you kind of wondered what he would be as a passer. Uh, we saw him at Mississippi State. Obviously, the, the, the helicopter hit against Kansas State is, is probably the lasting image you have of Garrett Trader before he got to Syracuse. But they've been a fun team to watch this year. And look, Wake Forest is really good. I, I don't think Wake Forest is like a cute little story. I think Wake Forest could legitimately compete for the ACC title this year. And Syracuse pushed them to the absolute limit. In my head, I had the Syracuse game as a win because of how impressive it was that they came back at the end and forced overtime. Now, the one thing I want to say about Syracuse is Dino Babers is from Hawaii, and I think it's hilarious that he lives in Syracuse, New York now because I don't think there's a bigger <laughs> stark difference. You're split. But like, like, do you think – like, I don't even know how I would characterize, like, Dino Babers' tenure at Syracuse. I would say it's probably a success, right? Compared to the last several coaches, yes. I mean, compared to, to like, what is this they the had ceiling with, for with Syracuse? Scott Strader, absolutely. No, they can be better. They they had the one really good year under Dino, and I think they could probably cycle up to that every few years. Like this is pro that's probably what this year should be, but it's not quite. But this is this is fine. Like they can go to a bowl game this year. I, I do think they're they're good enough to maybe win six games and be bowl eligible. The the question here, I I'm not thinking about them. 
Although you know you know how I feel about road favorites on a weeknight. I, I don't don't like them usually. But the the question for me is more can Syracuse cover in this game? They're a 13 and a half point underdog. And the spread is 44 and a half, which that is again, if you've watched Clemson, the spread, play that's the over this under. Season, the the, the I'm sorry, the, the over yeah. the over under is 44 and a half. Yeah. But if you watch Clemson play offensively this year, this the over under makes perfect sense. I am I am very curious though. It, can they stop Syracuse every single time? Because so this this final score, you know, we're talking about eh, that, that's that's giving Syracuse probably like eighteen points. No, it's giving about fifteen points. Yeah, you're so much better at math than me. But it just I'm seems like a, it's a small margin of error if you're if you're looking at the total. Um, well, they think the final score is going to be 29 to 15. Is that what it is? Something like that. Yeah. So, that's, that's about you know, right. I, I guess that, that, that could make sense. I, sometimes I get so wrapped up with what they think the score is going to be that I forget that the score could also be 42 to nothing, you know, and hit the number or be right around the number. And, you know, I still don't know that I've lost complete faith in Clemson's defense and, you know, they've fallen quite a bit but I don't know if they've fallen this far. I think I like Clemson in this game. I think so, too. I I also think this is one of those, if they hadn't already lost, maybe we'd be saying this is this is a danger spot for them, but th- they've already lost. They've, they've been through that. They they had an open date last week, which I think, you know, th- they're, they've had some time to reevaluate things that are going wrong and, and try to figure out how to, how to make them better. So I will... I will definitely take Clemson to cover here, maybe even to go over. Maybe because with teams that struggle offensively early, a lot of times you'll see them come out of an open date with a lot better offense because week to week it's hard to fix things. Now, maybe with this one you just can't because maybe it's they're just not blocking very well. But I think I think especially given some of the games they had to play, they had to play Georgia early. They had to play NC state. Like it's hard once you, once you've gotten a taste of what you are to then go back and recalibrate everything. Now they've had time to do that. So I am going to have a little faith in the, in the Clemson coaching staff to get that offense a little bit better. And I am going to say they cover in this game. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let us move out west, though. Another 13 and a half point spread. 
But this time it's the visiting team that is the the 13 and a half point underdog. Cal at Oregon. This is Oregon's first game since losing in overtime at Stanford in just just horrific fashion. Kayvon Thibodeau gets a, a targeting penalty on the last drive of the fourth quarter. Uh, there's another rough, there's a controversial rough in the passer penalty. Uh, there's a very controversial defensive holding penalty on the last play of regulation where they play an untimed down Syracuse scores. So Oregon has zero margin for error anymore. If they want to make the playoff, they got to win every game from here on out. Ari, I think they cover this spread. Cal beat them last year. Cal is not what they were last year or two years ago. I think Oregon rolls here. Yeah, I think they do too. And the the scary thing is, is Cal managed six points against Washington State. And, you know, I'm not trying to pile on Washington State here, but this is the Pac-12 and it's happening after dark. And I don't know what time that game was, but it needs to be more entertaining <laughs> than that. And, you know, exactly. I just like have a hard time gaining, like, like trying to figure out what Oregon is. Like is Oregon rank wise in your head, where do you think they'll end up? Are they like in the number eight to 12 range or are they actually a, a fringe five top five team that had a bad game? And like, I think they're probably closer to the 10 to 12 range overall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even that though should be enough to cover at home coming off of, you know, the, the time off that they had, they had a bye week and, you know, on, on the surface here, it seems that a 14 point win would be, would be what to expect. Yeah, I, I think also the, the the weirdest part about the Stanford game I didn't even mention, you know, Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator for Oregon, gets rushed to the hospital the morning of the game and was in the hospital for a while, was obviously not there. Jim Mastro had to call the game. I believe there had only been one other instance where Mastro had had to call plays for the Ducks. Uh, I think when, there was a bowl game when somebody had left. But it was a strange situation. And so – I think they'll just be a lot smoother offensively. Now, they lost C.J. Verdell in that game for the, for the season, but Travis Dye is a very reliable back. So I, I think I think Oregon gets back on track. That's a, that's a get-right game. Let's move to Saturday, and, and one that I think at the beginning of the season, we would have thought this game would not have anywhere near this big of a spread. But UCF is a three-touchdown underdog. At Cincinnati. And when Gus Malzahn got hired at UCF, you're like, okay, there's a challenger for Cincinnati in the American. This is the team they got to worry about. Dylan Gabriel got hurt, obviously. Mikey Keene, your, your UCF starting quarterback now. Uh, the UCF's also lost their best running back, their best receiver. But three touchdowns? Yeah, I, this is a do-not-touch game for me. I yeah Last week... When Cincinnati played Temple on Friday night and they were a 21-point favorite, I thought that was the easiest spread of the year. They won 52-3. Oh, yeah. to three. This is a little bit different. Um, and UCF has been an interesting team to follow this year. You know, I don't, I can't really put my finger on where they are. Uh, and well, they, they lost, they lost to Navy in Keene's first start. And they looked a little bit better against East Carolina, but again, that's East Carolina. They, they should look better against East Carolina. So we don't know what they are. We know they have some really talented players on defense. And, and you know, Big Cat Bryant, for example, was a starter at Auburn last year and, and comes to play for Gus again and, and is one of the best defensive players in, in the American. But 
is that enough to slow down Desmond Ritter in that Cincinnati offense? Which now I, the, the Cincinnati thing will be interesting because they're now in the mode, and I think they've probably been there for for a couple seasons now. But they are going to get every single team's best shot. This is where Oregon's at in the Pac-12. This is where Clemson's at in the ACC. Every team that plays them in their league will treat the game against Cincinnati like the Super Bowl. And it's dangerous in a situation like this where the other roster is still fairly talented. Yeah, yeah. I would say that this this is is just the most talented team that they'll face for the rest of the year. I mean, who are the Houston, other teams? That- Houston potentially in the in the AAC championship game is, yeah. is one, and then they play SMU in November. I think SMU, SMU would probably be up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so. this team for sure is, in my opinion, from a defensive standpoint, the the best team probably that's most equipped to maybe slow down Ritter a little bit, right? But you would if think since, if, you would if, think. if Cincinnati won fifty nine to nothing. I don't think anybody would – maybe nothing would be a little bit. But if they won by 28-35, I don't think people would be shocked by it. I just don't feel like I yeah. have a good enough pulse on this game to play it. The something-to-nothing thing wouldn't shock me at all with Cincinnati's defense and then what has happened to, to UCF's offense this year. Yeah. But the 59 part might shock me. That that yeah. would be that would be surprising. Yeah. So but that's what Cincinnati's been doing against everybody except – Who isn't Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So – Let's move into the Big Ten because there's a couple interesting early games in the Big Ten that I think, one, we would have flipped this line around earlier in the, in the, in the season. And, and the second one, I just want to know where, where we're at with this team. But Michigan State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite at Indiana. Indiana crushed Michigan State last year. Uh, everything was going right for Indiana. Everything was going wrong for Michigan State when they played that game. Indiana now in the situation where they, I think, I think it's more of a regression to the mean than anything else with the Hoosiers. I don't think they're bad. I just think they've kind of they're where they're supposed to be now. This, so we know we've talked a lot in the past about things that typically happen over the multiple coaching regimes. You know, things about a program that are identifiable despite the fact that people have changed, whether it be the players or the coaches. This spot to me seems to be like the patented Michigan State slip up spot, like the type of place that Michigan State would lose. That doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense when you think they're very good. In- now, Indiana I'm, coming off an open date, right? Michigan right. State riding high, exactly. Yes, yeah, so I, like, I got it's just you. like, and I'm and I'm having a hard time really. Like Kenneth Walker is awesome. Peyton mm-hmm. Thorne has Agreed. a 14 to two touchdown to interception ratio this year. You know, they've got some really, really good players on their team and they've done it in a very quick time under Mel Tucker. And I don't think that it's fair to, you know, put that evil on him that might have been past Michigan state situations. Now, Mark D'Antonio was a very, very good coach that got them to the ceiling of ceilings. Uh, but even towards right. the end of his tenure, they, they slipped up in some weird spots. I don't know how good I believe in my heart Michigan state actually is. I think like coming off of everything that we're learning every week in the big 10, like I have a hard time figuring out how good the big 10 East is. Yeah. I I think I, I honestly think with Michigan and Michigan state, we're, we're still trying to, we're like, okay, we're going to wait until they play this team to, to decide if we think they're good. We're going to wait till they do this till at a certain point, if they just keep winning, we have to just admit they're good. And I feel like Michigan state is almost there. Now, 
Michigan kind of same boat, but Michigan State will now will be playing probably will be playing Jack Tuttle because Michael Penix went down during the Penn State game for Indiana. Jack Tuttle came in and replaced him. It sounds like Tuttle starting this game too. Tuttle started all you know the last half of last season too, so it's not like he's inexperienced here, but. I I am fascinated by the Spartans, but we had a, if you if you read Colton Pouncey's story on Thursday about how they mine the transfer portal to get twelve new starters, I mean it's a great story, and I think everybody's going to try to copy what they've done, and a lot of teams are going to fail because as you'll read in Colton's story, it is really hard to do what they did to to hit on all the people they did, and then have your team chemistry get better adding all these new people. Well, that's the one thing that I think is going to be interesting component of ta- uh, talent uh, acquisition and roster composition. With the talent portal, I mean the transfer portal, adding talent through that venue is going to be a key part to everybody's roster management strategy. But I don't know how a coach can be good at it. Like, what are the traits that you need to be good at it? Because in high school football recruiting, you know, you can have talent evaluation. You visit these prospects. You get the feel for them. They haven't gone somewhere else. They haven't failed in another system yet or or decided to leave a different system yet for maybe another reason outside of failure. But with the transfer portal, it's A, unpredictable because you don't know if the, if the positions that you're going to need are going to be available in it. And then two, the circumstances of how things went at the other program make it a little bit tricky. So how do you feel like you can consistently do that every single year? I don't know if that's yeah, a, if that's I a manageable. I don't think it's a sustainable, a sustainable model. Thing. I think right, and I don't think Mel Tucker wants to do that every year. I think what Mel Tucker wants to do is get this thing kickstarted, and then recruit to what he wants, and and have the program he wants. And and I think this is a nice foundation for that. You know, this is this is a good start because he can he can now go to recruits and say, "Look, we can win here." You know, it didn't take that long. We are right back to winning the way the, the previous regime was five years ago, six years ago. So I think I think they're in a good spot, but we'll see. I mean, like you said, this is a this feels like a classic slip up spot. And so you, you got to overcome that. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, Nebraska is a four point favorite at Minnesota. And I realized that we fired Scott Frost after the Illinois game. I am aware of that. I, I I understand that some people thought we were premature there. And I agree with them because I got to tell you, Art, even though Nebraska lost to Michigan State and even though they lost to Michigan, I am on board with this being a better team. And this, I bet they go into Minnesota and and win this game and cover this spread and roll. I, I think I just think they're better. And and eventually they're going to break through. So you're back in. That's like a. Did you hear everything you just said? That's like a fully back in statement. I am because they're going to roll and they're going to get it rolling. I have watched this team play over the course of this season, and it has improved every single week. So I don't. I don't have a problem admitting I was wrong. Yeah, I don't either. I I just don't know if. So we fired him prematurely. I think that we could say that the spirit of this team was not broken by what we thought would have broken. Absolutely not. The way that they've played against Oklahoma, Michigan State, Northwestern, and Michigan are all very, very good things. 
the thing that I have trouble with, and you tell me, you tell me if I'm crazy. Oklahoma, I mean, uh, Nebraska has very terrible situations happen in every game. Some of them are self-caused. Some of them are not. Right. Right. Is it, this is a, uh, this is a one, one time is happenstance. Two times is coincidence. Three times is enemy action kind of thing. Like yeah. if it keeps happening, you have to start blaming it on. I think I, when I was them. in high school, my, and I first got my driver's license, my dad gave me one of their old cars and I dented it up. Okay. Then I got a different car and I dented that one up, scratched the heck out of it. Then I got a new car in college. And as I was driving home from college, I hit something and it cracked the radiator. And like, it was like a $3,000 repair after he just did like a huge maintenance to it. And my dad, who was at the end of his pitiful rope, mind you, screamed at me. He goes, Ari, and he's like at the top of his voice. And he's a very funny man, but he was very angry in the moment. He goes, you have either scratched, dented, wrecked, damaged or destroyed every single one of my cars. When does it stop being a explicitive explicit expletive coincidence? <laughs> when does it stop being a F coincidence? And ever <laughs> since then, wow. I think to myself, when does it stop being? Cause I always had an excuse like, yep. Oh, I didn't see this or this guy put the car too close or whatever. I had an excuse for everything. And at a certain point, when does it stop being an effing coincidence? Um, and with this Nebraska team, when does it stop being a coincidence? It's just like, cause like I, when you look at it, one in th- this one in three stretch is the stretch that we're using to illustrate that they're back or that they're, they're humming at, at the right level. I know. I, and it's just listen, like, I don't know that I want to use a one in three dumb stretch. It sounds when I say it, I understand I'm with how you. crazy it I'm sounds. I'm with you. I think they're going to cover the spread. I'm back in on the Nebraska trap. Now they're three and four, two of their wins are against Fordham and Buffalo. Northwestern was, I think a pretty oppressive win, even if Northwestern isn't what we've been accustomed to seeing. We thought that they would have to win eight games this year to feel good about themselves. That isn't going to happen this year. But Minnesota and Purdue, their next two games, if they actually are where you think they are, which they is... They should win them easily. They sh- these are the yes. next two. You, you have to win these games. You lose these two games, and then you go into the final three stretch of at Ohio State. I mean, at home against Ohio State, at Wisconsin, and then at home against Iowa you're just completely toast. So like in this spot, I know playing on the road at Minnesota is a tough game, but if they actually do have a pulse and you feel like their offense is starting to figure some things out, their defense is actually pretty talented. And I dare stare. I say kind of good. This is a spot. Uh, that I don't even think kind of good. I think the defense is very good. They're very good. So, so like, yeah, you have an offense that's figuring it out and a defense that's very good. And a team that's more talented than Minnesota laying four. And I get that it's on the road, but like I am on Nebraska in this scenario, I just would never put my own money on it. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. We could be back Saturday night saying, well, when does it stop being an effing coincidence? Because <laughs> if some calamity befalls Nebraska, and it's like, well, I mean, who would have thunk it? <laughs> it's a punt return or a, a crucial fumble or a terrible it's penalty. always or a, something. The ball bounces yes, and hits somebody on the back of the leg, and it's a turnover, and it's just like, win a game. Just do yep. what you did to Northwestern. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... Mm, 
real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's move into the Big 12. Your, uh, your trap team, the team I fell into their trap last week, and frankly, I don't blame us. I blame Caleb Williams for being awesome. For, for us losing on that Texas-Oklahoma. Because we, we were right until I think we, we were, were wrong. Right. I think we were right. Yeah. We were right until until Caleb Williams made us wrong. We were so, as right in the Texas game as you were as right in the Penn State game. Yes, exactly. And then the circumstances changed, and the, the result didn't match. And that's okay. That happens sometimes. So Oklahoma State, four-and-a-half-point underdog at the Longhorns. This is, this is your bounce-back game for Texas. I, I think... I don't think you feel terror. Like, obviously, you get on the defense about giving up so many points at the end of that game. But I don't think you should feel that terrible if you're Texas. Because I think Caleb Williams is really good. And we're going to find out over the next, you know, two and a half seasons that he's really good. And Ari is just putting up the hook. Him. He's, he's back. <laughs> Texas isn't back, but Ari's back. Um, no, I... I figured when you were drinking the mayonnaise, and I didn't want to say this, but when you were drinking the mayonnaise, I thought we are probably going to have another bet this week. Because you want to do this I, I, I mean, are you with me or against me on this? I'm on I'm, Texas. I, the, 
The problem is I'm with you. I, I think they win okay. this game, and I think they cover. I, I, I don't – as good as Oklahoma State's defense has been, they have not faced anything like B. John Robinson yet. As, as the t- days go on from the crippling loss, the crushing, bone-hurting loss that Texas had against Oklahoma, and now that you're at the 20,000-foot view of things, looking at what Texas was this year or has become this year, are you encouraged by that? Is Texas in the right direction, or do you think it's the same old Texas? Because last week, I was very quick to gloat that Texas was back. I told everybody Texas is back. You didn't listen to me. They're winning by 100. I'm, like, doing laps around my living room. Finally, I I get to go on the Andy Staples show. (laughs) I get to go on the Andy Staples show. Buddy, they were getting smoked. Like I had, I didn't, you know, and I get it. Like it's college football, crazy stuff happens. You bring the number one player in the country off the bench. He comes in and wins the game for you. You know, it happens. But like, I still feel moderately encouraged by the direction. I think it's very clear that Steve Sarkeesian is a mastermind when it comes to drawing up offense. I think that they're going to continue to recruit at a pretty high level. Um, And if you feel like, you know, he's a pretty good position to, to stack the talent there and you have a coach that can actually get the most out of his team, then I think that you have a pretty good combination of success in the future. Now, do you think that the Texas loss this past weekend to Oklahoma was a, as a, a same old Texas scenario, or was it just Oklahoma no. bringing in an awesome player and beating them straight up, which is what I think it was. So no, like, I, I think I, Texas I think is it- in a good spot. I think it was a truly special player coming into the game and, and changing the circumstances. Now, I, I don't think Texas has a great defense, but I am very encouraged by the way that Steve Sarkeesian uses his playmakers offensively. I think I think you should you should be very excited about the future of Texas's offense. You know, before they had guys that you thought, okay, these guys would be pretty good, but they never really blew up in a game. They they just never seemed all that good. And if Bijan Robinson gets hot. He rides him. Xavier Worthy is a star. He's made some mistakes this year, but he's a star. star. Absolutely. You know, that that first the first play from scrimmage against Oklahoma told you that. And we're Uh, talking about somebody who's in the 2021 class. And and, and like immediate, like the what was the knock on Herman? You couldn't deliver or 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 uh, develop, not deliver players that were highly recruited. It's like Xavier Worthy is a 2021 prospect who is housing the force of the first play of the game. First play. You don't teach that stuff. He's special. He's being utilized, and they're getting the ball in his hands. Kudos to the coaching staff for doing that. Yeah, that and, and that's the difference, I think, that between this staff and the past two is the past two just could not get out of their own way in terms of figuring out how to use their playmakers. This one seems to, to be very good at it and, and very good at it right off the bat. So get the defense better. Texas could be very, very strong going forward. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma may see each other again. Remember, Texas's other losses to Arkansas. So uh, this that may have been round one. Sticking with an early, early, early game, Ari, and because this game, I, I, I normally I don't think that much about the time of a game, but we know how little LSU fans like 11 a.m. local kickoffs. They are they are dead set against them. They do not like them. That is the least time you have for tailgating. It is their their worst nightmare until this. Their worst nightmare is they just got smoked by Kentucky, and now they have an 11 a.m. local kick against Florida. 
Florida's an 11 and a half point favorite. I, I'm not even worried about the spread or the over under in this game. I just want to know, is this the end for Ed Orgeron? Does, does this do it here? If Florida, if Florida beats them the way we think Florida is going to beat them in front of a half empty stadium in the early afternoon, is that going to be it? Do you think the stadium's going to be half empty? I think there'll be a lot of no-shows. I mean, the tickets are all sold, but I, I would assume there'll be a lot of no-shows. Because, you know, you would still, as an LSU fan, want to watch the Georgia game. I mean, the Florida game, sorry. Um, and Florida but you is... Could, you could stay at your tailgate and watch it. There's a lot of people yeah. who do that. Yeah, There's a lot yeah. of people who do that when they're, when they're happy with the Tigers. I mean, would you rather just hang with your friends and eat your better food or go in the stadium and eat their overpriced food? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. I... I like Florida here. Um, I think that losing Eli Ricks is a pretty big loss. You know, you got players who are now not playing. Well, and, and, and you, you've lost Derek Stingley. You've lost Eli Ricks. You lost Kayshawn Boutte in the last game. You lost Ali yeah. Gay in the last game. And the LSU They're, is in, in pretty bad shape. And it's like you put yourself in that in that perspective and just like what, what are people expecting from that? It's like everybody has already fired him. So it's just like does LSU have to win without half of their best players? Uh, at home coming off of a loss to, to, I mean, reinstill your faith in him? Even if they beat Florida, would that change anything? I don't think it's going to change anything because I, I don't think, I don't have a ton of confidence in them going forward because even if they beat Florida, does that mean they're going to beat Alabama? Probably not. Does it mean they're going to beat Ole Miss? We don't know. Does it mean they're going to beat Arkansas? Who knows? Does it mean they're going to beat A&M? Th- th- those are all potential losses. And so, you know, I, it felt like, the Kentucky game was kind of it. But I do understand Scott Woodward, the AD, has not fired a coach midseason before. They're not particularly thrilled with their interim options there. So they may just let this thing play out. Uh, I know locally the, the folks there are worried, you know, potential for craziness if, if the staff knows it's inevitable that they're getting fired and nothing gets done. So... I'm not entirely sure how that's going to go. I, I I don't know, but if Florida what is your beats take them, on whether or not he should be fired? I, at this point, it, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. He's going to be fired. Yeah, I mean, I just it's just an interesting thing about how short your leash can be after winning a national title, and it's well, happened I mean, before. Listen, you know, they know. have they have all that talent. There, there are serious expectations there and, and with good reason. And look, a, a well-coached LSU, now this injury luck this season, probably not, but this roster coached well could win the SEC West this year. And it's just not being coached very well. And, and I, I thought that they were you know, given a chance to correct the mistakes they made last year, they would. It turns out they didn't. It turns out that the, the hires they made this year didn't make them any better. And so perhaps they did just catch lightning in a bottle with the, the Joe Brady, Joe Burrow combination. And the, maybe it's not repeatable. And I think that's, that's the issue. So I don't blame them for feeling the way they feel. And I don't think there's much you can do to get out of this because I just don't think they can win enough games to get another shot. If I, I were a head the, coach, the I would make sure... That it had in my contract. If I win a national championship at this program, I get a six-year window 
where I can't be fired. Or a five-year no window. One will, no one will ever <laughs> just, give anyone that contract. I just feel like winning a national championship is so freaking hard. And like, if you so win you're one, saying you're saying Gene Chizik should not have been fired after going no, 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 no. In the SEC. I, I understand. I understand. It's the same. It's I get and, it. and then the same and what and yeah. what did Auburn do the next year? What did Auburn do? Yeah, they went out and won. They they won the SEC and played for the national. Yeah. They're thirty seconds from a national title. So maybe they knew what they were doing in I that think, situation. It's a crazy though when you put into perspective how hard it is to win a national championship. And I get the lightning in a bottle scenario. Joe Burrow had maybe the best season of all time at the quarterback position. And they had an offensive coordinator who was regarded as a genius. Okay, But well, like even an incompetent, just let me finish this real quick. Okay, go for it. If you're an incompetent coach, which is what you're deemed as if you're fired, unless you do something against the rules, which he hasn't. I still find it hard to believe that an incompetent coach, even with lightning in a bottle, would win the national championship when you realize how many instances that it can direct your, your national championship hopes can be derailed. I've seen so many good teams in, in the last 10 years that were good enough to win a national championship, not win it because of a bad game or a bad call or whatever. And it's just like the incompetent coach is supposed to, to outweigh that. You know what I mean? Okay, here we go. Since you said that we'll, we'll do a little pop quiz. Who would you rather have coaching your team? Ed Orgeron, who has a national title or Kirby Smart, who doesn't? Okay. So you're going to throw the recruiting stuff in my face? Wait, wait. Because like I, I know. Like, for hey, you. Okay. I got another one. Who would you rather have coaching your team? Ed Orgeron, who has won a national title, or Ryan Day, who doesn't? Well, that's also not. I mean, Ryan Day's been a coach for like three years. And he's been in the playoffs Would you twice. rather have, right now, you are. I'd rather AD. have Ryan Day. Okay, thank you yeah. for answering the question. You, yeah, you, yeah, you have. I'd rather have you Kirby have answered Smart. your own question. You yeah. have answered your own question. No, no, That's, I know, but like, but you're also listing off if if anybody made a list right now of the top ten coaches in college football, Ryan Day and Kirby Smart would be on that list. Ari, LSU should have one of the top ten coaches in college football coaching its team. I know, but if we go back and you look at at a lists of, you know, every offseason when people do best coaches in college football at Orgeron would have appeared on all of them a year after that. Right. Correct. Is that right? Does that make it right? No, I just, I just don't know how it fluctuates that much. It fluctuates that much because we've been given more data. You know, it, when, when the Pelini and, and Lena hand hires are made and the spin coming out of there is that the AD forced those on them. You're like, okay, well, if that's what really happened, now that they have a chance to, to go hire the people they actually want to hire, things will turn around because they clearly identified talent very well with Joe Brady. So they're just going to do that again. Can I keep playing that. devil's advocate because I'm really enjoying this? Sure. Let's break down a head coach's responsibilities percentage-wise like a pie chart. Okay. 80%, in my opinion, would be recruiting. 10% would be culture building and foundation building of that program. Uh, so that's 85% or that's 90%. 5% would be X's and O's and 5% would be boosters, other obligations, media, things that you have to do. And so 10% luck, 20% skill, 50% concentrated power of will, 5% pressure, 20% pain. I don't know if that adds up to 100 
he is recruiting well. And he has okay. a five-star quarterback who's coming in next year. Walker Howard, the number one player at this position in this class after Quinn Ewers uh, reclassified. Is he one assistant hire away from fixing it? Or do you just need to like tear the whole house down? How many more assistant coach hires are you going to give him, though? They blew the ones last year. And you can say the AD forced it on him, but if, if you think you're being for, uh, having a bad hire forced on you, as a person who makes more money than your AD and who has more juice coming off a national title than your AD, you can say no to that if that's the case. And then when you get your, your chance to do it, you, you hire people who immediately improve the situation. Well, the people they hired didn't improve it. They might have made it worse. So how many more hires do you want to give them? Yeah, I don't know, but he got one right. He did. And that, and no one will ever be able to take that away. And and I have the, this thought that, like, and, and I know none of the current sitting head coaches want to hear this. If Ed Orgeron gets fired, which I think is going to happen, whoever gets whoever hires him next as their D-line coach or their defensive coordinator or, or recruiting coordinator or whatever, because I think he'll he'll come back and work. Uh, if I'm that head coach, I'm like, oh, man. I don't know if, I don't know if this was such a great idea because I think we've – like, Ed Orgeron might be the best interim coach in America. Like, you don't want to get fired with Ed Orgeron – on your staff because Ed Orgeron is going to immediately make you look bad by winning more games with your players than you did. You know what the one quality too that Ed Orgeron has that not a lot of coaches have? He's What's just that? super likable. I think so. Yeah. And and now he's got to try to maintain that through this. This is going to be a pretty stressful next few weeks and months that, that he has to get through if, if they don't do this until the end of the season. But he definitely has the the charisma and everything else, so he can he can go somewhere else, succeed. I don't think the idea of Ed Orgeron being a head coach again is out of the question. I, I think he could be a head coach and be successful somewhere. But the thing is, at LSU, you got to be good every year. You can't have two bad years, and they've had two bad years. So it, if you can get that kind of talent, and that's it's not unique to LSU, Ohio State, Georgia. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas, USC, all these places. You got to be good every year. Well, maybe not USC. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> well, no, it should be. They didn't they didn't hold themselves to the yeah. standard they should, but it's it's not that complicated. The the you are being paid a ton of money, being handed all of the resources you need. The price of admission is you got to be good every year. Yeah, that's no, how you keep right. your job. And sometimes yeah. being good isn't enough. Like, oh, by the way, the other guy on this field in Baton Rouge on Saturday, Dan Mullen, I think we could argue objectively that he's done a very good job at Florida. If you ask a Florida fan right now, they don't think he's doing a very good job. I think he's the one of the best coaches in college football from an X's and O's standpoint. I think he's one of the bottom coaches in recruiting. Well, and that and that's that's the issue, and that's that's where Florida runs into trouble, and that's why it's the games jobs. like this, that's why the games like this can be a problem because even though LSU is injury riddled, th this is actually somewhat similar to the situation LSU had going into the Florida game last year, where it it felt like everything was was going straight to hell, 
And that kind of galvanized them, and they won the game. Now, if Kyle Pitts plays in that game, Florida wins. But that's, again, that's another Dan Mullen thing. Uh, with, with Mullen, if somehow LSU wins this game, and I don't think they're going to, because I, I think it would be very hard. But if they don't, or if Florida, if Florida doesn't win this game, it's going to get weird in Gainesville. Because that's, that's where there's a problem is this is a dangerous team because there's still a bunch of raw talent on it. Is Dan Mullen doing a good enough job to be Florida's coach long-term without changing the, the outcome? He Now, I, I think about this a lot because I feel like if he can continue putting good seasons together, stringing 9, 10, 11 win seasons together, the recruiting will come. Eventually, players will say, all they do is win, they put guys in the NFL, I should play there. Like that, you would think if you just sustain that for a while, that that, that will come to you. That the do you think nine wins will start. moves the needle? No, I don't. But nine wins after 10, 11, 11 does. Or, well, not 11. It would have been 11 if it had been a regular normal season last year. So I do think it, it's fine given those circumstances. But if you ask the rank-and-file Florida fan, they're furious because they want a team that can compete with Georgia and with because Alabama. Because the, the normal Florida fan doesn't want to hear what you just said. They do not. They want championships. They feel like that is part of the job description is to win championships. So part of the job description if it's to win championships, another part of it is you must recruit at the same level as Georgia and LSU and Alabama. Would you and say that LSU's uh, fuse is shorter than Florida's fuse when it comes to replacing their much coach? Much shorter, much shorter. Okay. Scott Strickland at Florida was at Mississippi State before that. He was always pretty realistic about what to expect because I don't, I, I don't think you should expect – championships every year at Florida. I think that's a somewhat unrealistic expectation that exists because it happened where Steve Spurrier was winning the SEC every year, where Urban Meyer won two national titles in three years. And that may happen again if you hire, you know, if you catch lightning in a bottle, but it may not. But you can have a team at Florida that competes for the national title on a fairly regular basis. It is doable. It's not asking too much. I don't want to so, turn this into a recruiting podcast. I know we have some more games to pick, but I want to tell you this. So Urban Meyer's 2000, was it the 2006 class or the 2007 class at, at Florida? Well, that was the best it, of all time. It was, it, it I was, mean, it was both. both so the, but the 2007 the class. Well, the 2006 class set the tone because he gets Brandon Spikes who was kind of the linebacker they needed. Tebow was obviously in that class, but Percy Harvin was the most important one. Yes, yes. That's, that's the player everybody else in the country wanted. And Florida now is never in the hunt for the player everybody wants. Florida, in one of those classes, I think it was the 2007 class, and forgive me uh, for... 2000, 2007 was the Pounceys, Joe Hayden... Chris Rainey. It was a very deep class that, I, that contributed a lot. I think 20 of the 26 or something like that signees in the 07 class were from Florida. And last yes. year, well, six which, of them which were is, from the same high school, from Lakeland High School. So the fact that like they're in Florida dominating 
contributed to one of the greatest recruiting classes of all time. And then of course, ultimately wound up with national titles in the 2021 cycle, Alabama signed seven of the top 15 players in the state of Florida of those 15 players. All of them were top 100 players nationally. So if you think it's just like, well, win 10, 11, 11, nine, 11 games, and then people will come. It's just like, he's not getting his own guys. And I understand that Alabama and Florida are very close and that Alabama is always using Florida as a, as a main recruiting territory, but Florida is getting absolutely smoked in their own state. It's not even, it's not like they're doing okay. They're getting smoked. Yeah. And, and, and I just and don't we know could, what you could have the same conversation about Florida state and Miami. Right. And, but Florida is getting better results than those two, two programs. Because Mullen's a great so coach. You, coach. Right. So we'll see what happens. This will be a really interesting Saturday in Baton Rouge one way or the other. My my supposition is Florida wins this game fairly handily because if you saw if you watch Kentucky LSU, Kentucky just ran through LSU. Florida is is very good on the ground. I would think they just control the game, suck possessions out of it and and just win in a very kind of workmanlike fashion. But I don't know. It, it could get weird. <laughs> Things always tend to get weird in Baton Rouge. So we'll, we'll see. You know, we, I have a feeling we'll be talking after that game about what happens next to LSU and is it happening this week? Is it not? I, that's going to be the conversation until something does happen. Elsewhere in the SEC, Auburn heading to Arkansas. Arkansas is a four and a half point favorite in this game. This was an interesting one. I mean, four and a half point favorite with Arkansas clearly, you know, having a clear home field advantage in games it plays at home because you've, you've seen the, the Texas game and the A&M game. That atmosphere is electric. So basically, this is, this is almost a pick'em game. Is, is what, if this were a neutral field, this would be a pick'em game. These two teams last year, Auburn wins the game, but there was a, a pretty bad call. Arkansas probably should have won it. Uh, I feel like they're, they're kind of in similar places, Ari. But if Arkansas can win this one... Does it put? Does it kind of help separate the tiers in the, in the SEC West? Yeah, I think it does. You know, Arkansas, I was very high on two and a half weeks ago, and I know they played some really tough games against some really good teams. And I'm trying not to lose my faith in what I thought they were a month ago because they lost to much better teams that are just transcendent good. You know, so like in yep. this spot, I think I like Arkansas. I like Arkansas uh, at home. Uh, playing against a manageable opponent. And, you know, I think they're much better than people give them credit for. And, you know, again, we can't be altered. Our viewpoints can't be altered because Georgia beat the crap out of them. Because it's like Georgia is going to beat the crap out of everybody, I think. So, well, that that brings me to it. Let's, let's whip through the rest of the SEC while, okay. while we're here. Kentucky-Georgia is on paper the biggest game in the country this, this week. But... Vegas, just like when when Arkansas went to Georgia, is not a believer that anybody has a chance to to beat the Bulldogs in Sanford Stadium. Kentucky's a 22 and a half point underdog. This is a 44 and a half point total. So I'm not great at math, but that tells me that we're we're looking at maybe a, a 30, 33 to 11 final score. So uh, 33 to 10 final score. That is, uh, and that's about what I'd expect 
in a game like this. I, I really, you know, you go back to 2018 when Kentucky had a really good team. Georgia goes up to Lexington. The SEC East is on the line. Both of them had beaten Florida. It came at a different point in the calendar than, than, than this one does. But Georgia just dominated them. And I, I, it, this is one of those, I feel like styles make fights. Kentucky's style is great against everybody else because it's kind of a change-up. But against Georgia, it's what they see every day at practice. Yeah. I picked Kentucky in the uh, the pick that we do on The Athletic in print. T- to cover? And, yeah. And I don't know that I'm confident in that anymore. That pick thing is really I'm- hard because they only give us the biggest games of the week and we don't get to pick the ones that we like. But I do think I got to be done. I picked Arkansas against Georgia. And I mm-hmm. the only game I think I was really high on Georgia was the Clemson game because they were getting points. I think I got to stop fading Georgia. I think you're probably right. I, at a certain point, we just need to acknowledge that they because we probably do, are the best team in the country. We do believe that Kentucky's a above average team. Kentucky's and above a very average, good team, Ari. A very good team and getting 22 and a half. Like conventional wisdom would just be like, you just hop on those points. But it's like, are we certain that Kentucky is going to score a freaking point in that game in Georgia? Against the first team defense? No, we're not sure. Because only one team has. <laughs> oh, your guys though, scored a touchdown. Your guy's calling the shots, though, for Kentucky. Your guy's, your guy's moving it. Listen, Will, Will Levis is, has a, a great future as a food scientist to try to figure out new recipes and, and, and just the next, the next fad. But... I don't know about him against uh, against that defense, which is good lord. That I've said this several times this year, but I didn't think it was going to be possible to play defense like that again because of the way the game had evolved. And so that's how good this defense is. That's not that's not a case of though the game didn't really evolve that much. No, it did. This defense is just on another level. So I agree. I, I I'm with you. All right. Let's let's move to Starkville because this is I find this game very interesting. Alabama 17 and a half point favorite on the road at Mississippi State. Clang a clang a clang. It's going to be very loud in Starkville. Uh, it was very loud in College Station. It will not be as loud as it was last week for the Crimson Tide. But uh, Zach Arnett at Mississippi State, the D.C., has done a very good job. That defense is not easy to prepare for. It's it. As David Ubbin put it, it's sort of like the triple option of defenses. And so you're coming off a game where Mike Elko found a lot of ways to pressure you and now going against a defense that, one, has a lot of talent, and two, is difficult schematically. Are we sure Bryce Young bounces back in this game? Well, let me ask you this now that we're a week removed from, or almost a week removed from Alabama's loss. Have you recalibrated how you view Alabama this year? Yes. A little bit. But but the thing is, and again, we've seen Alabama lose games before. Like, I am not a big, this means the Saban dynasty is over person. Because I saw, I you know, twice when they lost to Ole Miss, I saw that. Like, the 2015 loss to Ole Miss is a good example. And, and the game actually played out somewhat similarly in 2015 to the loss last week, where Alabama goes down by a bunch, they come back, but they end up losing anyway. And in 2015, now that was the the game they started Cooper Bateman, realized Jake Coker was their guy part of the way through and and that was 
it and Jay Coker was the guy going forward. So a little bit different circumstances for Alabama's offense, but that game sort of allowed Nick Saban to diagnose all his problems and then fix them over the next few weeks, and they wound up winning the national title. So the thing about having the roster Alabama does is I, I have a hard time kind of checking out on them as a national title contender. I think you give Nick Saban an idea of what he needs to fix. He probably has the tools in his garage to fix it. I am just taking Alabama because I want to know what the spread would be if the A&M game didn't happen. And I understand that if you can't a- do that in life. Oh, but- so, so if Alabama had won as expected in the A&M game, which would have been probably you know 42 to 10 or something like that, the spread in this game would be like 28 points. I see value there. I think you're right. I, I, I think you're right. I do think it's going to be more difficult for Alabama to score, but I think defensively they'll they'll handle Mississippi State. You know, the, there's a there's a way you got to play against Mississippi State, and you, you can't really deviate from it. And I think Alabama is is set up to do that. Yeah, they're disciplined enough to handle that. I'm with you. One more in the SEC, and this might be the most fun game of the weekend, Ari. Like, this is going to melt your face, maybe. Ole Miss, two-and-a-half-point favorite at Tennessee. Lane returns to Rocky Top. Tennessee has scored 28 points in the last two first quarters. Josh Heupel's offense is humming under Hendon Hooker. The over-under is 82 do we take the over? Do we dare? <laughs> I'm on Tennessee. Are am, I, am, am I nuts? No, you're not nuts. Ole Miss, Ole Miss is not a great defense. They, they're maybe somewhat better than last year, but maybe not. And they weren't very good last year. Uh, you heard Lane Kiffin after the, the Arkansas game where he's like, we didn't stop them at all. He's like, all they did was not convert a two-point conversion. That's the only reason we won the game. So uh, they're they're about to face an offense that I think is, is just as capable of scoring on them as Arkansas's was. Uh, they're about to face a defense that has some top-end talent but but is thin. And if Ole Miss starts scoring and this game turns into a track meet, Ole Miss going to keep on scoring. So... Ole Miss might wind up playing the same kind of game it played last week. And listen, that crowd in Neyland Stadium is going to be rocking. This is the first sellout they've had since 2017. They are so excited right now. This is the thing we said, you know, Tennessee may struggle, but with this offense, at least it's going to be fun. And this is a a fan base that has not really been allowed to have any fun in years. So they are going to be off the chain. When that game starts, give me the points, I guess, in an 80 point uh, over under situation. And I just want Tennessee fans to be happy for one more week, even though they, they think they hate me. But listen, I, I got- think even if they lose, if, if they played, the, let's say, let's say this is the same game as Arkansas will miss and Tennessee loses 53 to 52. I think they still leave the stadium happy. Buddy, they got Ole Miss, Alabama, UK, and Georgia all in a row. Oh, I know. I know. If they can <laughs> if they can win this one, it puts a cherry on top because the, you know, the next few weeks are going to be awful. But the, they thought the whole season was going to be awful, and they they had good reason to think that. 
Look at all that they lost. So the job that this new staff has done and the job that that players like Hendon Hooker, like Hendon Hooker came to play for Jeremy Pruitt. When, when he transferred from Virginia Tech, Pruitt hadn't been fired yet. Like this is, it's pretty amazing what they've been able to do. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I don't think there's a tougher stretch in college football than this month coming up. Yeah. For any team. And but we thought the whole season was going to be like that. And yeah. so if they can have this this period of joy with the Missouri game and the South Carolina game and if they can if they can win this game or even turn it into a track meet and just make it one of those I was there games for the people who were in the stadium. Like that's good enough. Given given what we thought this season was going to be, that's good enough. I agree. I mean, I think they, they want to win a lot. Of course. But but I do think that, listen, their offense has been really hard to watch the last few years at times. Oh, it's been and awful. if they could have a, a track meet of a game where they're just lighting up the scoreboard, I just think from entertainment standpoint, it's just good for the soul. Oh, I agree. I agree. Let, let's stay in the same general region, but uh, move over to the ACC. Miami's a seven and a half point underdog at North Carolina, 63 point total. I don't know what to make of the Tar Heels. I think it broke Florida my heart. State we can say getting, that, right? I Well, yeah, absolutely. But I think Florida State is getting better. So I think that is part of the reason why they lost that game last week. But another part of it is they just simply aren't what they were supposed to be. They were, they're not what they were billed as. But... Big butt there. They are playing a team that did not match up well with this offense last year. I don't know if this Miami defense is any better than the one they played last year. North Carolina averaged 10 yards a carry against Miami last year. If if the same thing happens this year, Miami's probably looking for a new coach this time next week. I'm not laying another touchdown for the rest of the year uh, in North Carolina. So you're you're saying Miami? I'm I'm not saying I'm just or, I'm, not, or I'm or just not laying touch touchdowns. Touch yeah, yeah. I I because Miami has has shown that they are not trustworthy as well. But North Carolina, I have stuck my hand into the cookie jar one too many times on them this year, and I think I'm done. I think that's putting your hand on the stove. I don't think he's putting yeah. it in the cookie jar at this point. It's well, it turned they, out there was they no are, cookies in there. Yeah, they are not what we thought they were going to be, and and so I don't know. I don't know what that means for this game. And, you know, this is one where it, Phil Longo will keep running it on you if you let him. And will Miami let them? Because that that game last year was hard to watch. Like <laughs> that was that was almost a snuff film. So <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't think that happens again because I don't think North Carolina can do that. Because I think North Carolina would have done that to somebody already this season if they could. But that's Manny Diaz has got to make sure that doesn't happen, especially you can't let this North Carolina team do that to you. So yeah, that, that that's the tricky part is, is this, this could go a number of weird ways. So I think you're right on the, on the do not touch also in the ACC NC state at Boston college. Now it's weird to me because we're talking about an ACC Atlantic game that doesn't involve Clemson in a way that, that, where we're going to reference the ACC Atlantic title. Because I don't know that Clemson's definitely going to win it. NC State's already beaten them. Clemson's beaten Boston College. Wake Forest is still undefeated and, and hasn't played any of these teams yet. Could this be 
a game, a kind of a knockout round game for the, the ACC Atlantic title? Is it too soon to say that? I, I mean, NC State's got the win in pocket against Clemson. It feels like if they beat BC, they're really a win against Wake away from, from winning that thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that NC State is probably a little bit better than we've given them credit for this year. Um, you know, and, and the fact that they beat Clemson, I think, was obviously the the turning point. But I don't know, man. I, this is a hard one to, because Boston College is also very much improved. And it, it seems to me that the result of this game will go a long way in determining who has a chance to win this conference this year. And, like, I just don't know how – like, I was on uh, Syracuse last week against Wake Forest. And the reason why I got earlier confused about the win was because of the bet hit. <laughs> but yeah. the 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 conference, I guess, with Wake, like how convinced are we that Wake is the is that team? And like I don't know that I would take Wake to beat either of these two teams straight up right now, would you? Uh, maybe against Boston College if, because you you know they don't have Phil Phil Yurkovic anymore. Yeah. And if, if he's playing, it's it's probably a different story. Dennis Grossell has done a good job keeping the offense on schedule. Uh, they're you know they're good at running the ball. They they think I I just I don't know how dynamic they can be. You know we, we saw them score a bunch of points against Missouri, and then we saw Tennessee score a lot more points against Missouri. So I I, I don't know exactly what Boston College is without Phil, but. I think we'll find out. I mean, th- this week will help us find out. And NC State has not been terribly consistent. I, you know, the the loss to to Mississippi State. Look, Mississippi State's got a good defense. They're tough to deal with. So, I, I don't, I don't think that means that NC State can't do this. I, I I think they can pull this off. And you know, if they if they can stop Pat Garwo on the ground, and he's averaging six point four yards a carry right now, then I think NC State can control this game. So if they do, then we're talking about Wake Forest Clemson and then Wake Forest NC State is really maybe your most important games in the SC, in the ACC and then and then all the Pitt games on the other side. You you ready to believe in Pitt? You ready to believe in the Panthers? Any single time we discuss Pitt, you're the person talking. I don't even not only do I not bet on them, I don't talk about them. <laughs> It's it's it just blows my mind that this team lost to Western Michigan. Blows my mind. I, I have no idea how that happened. Like this team should be undefeated right now. That's the ACC team we should be we should be talking about along with Wake Forest as having like the breakout season. Uh, if you if you read the Athletic, Dane Brugler just did a big story on on Kenny Pickett being the the big draft prospect. And they are in they're in. Blacksburg, Virginia Tech just lost a tough one in Notre Dame. They're probably pretty beat up along the line of scrimmage after after that game. Like Pittsburgh can really kind of take take command in the coastal if they win this thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see how it plays out for sure. We we will find out that so that that's your that's your ACC minute. One more game, though, and and we we talked about this guy early in the show, but I can't stop talking about him because it was watching Caleb Williams lead Oklahoma back. It's one of those things, like the first time you hear a great song and you know it's going to be one of your favorite songs for the rest of your life, 
and you're like, I just want to now remember back in the day when you, you would heard, you'd hear that song on the radio and you'd have to wait until somebody played it again, or you have to go buy the CD or whatever. Like now you could just put it on Spotify on, on repeat over and over. But that Caleb Williams thing, like it, it's that he is me going through the radio dial. Like when's the next time I get to see him play? When's the next time I get to hear this song? So you're, are you, so do you think Caleb Williams is the uh, Band-Aid on the problem? I don't think there is a problem if he plays that way. So Oklahoma is back to being a national championship contender in your mind with that one switch? I, if he, if that was what we're going to see every time he plays, if, if that was, we, we still don't know if that's a one-off. Was yeah. that just an incredible, I incredible I, I don't know if that could be a series one-off. of events? I don't think so either. If you look at the look at the two touchdown throws, there's a scramble he he does where he's just head faking people. He does some things that look very natural that are very very difficult to do. That you don't teach. You don't teach them. It's just you can exactly. either do it or so, you can't. Yeah. So so Oklahoma is a 13 and a half point favorite against TCU. I don't know Zach Evans may not play for TCU. Zach Evans doesn't play for TCU. I don't see how TCU scores a bunch of points in this Yeah, game. I think TCU is actually a pretty good team. And they've disappointed me a little bit with some of the the games that they've lost this year. The SMU game, I thought they had a chance to win, and and of course the Texas game was really really close. And I thought that if they would have won that game, you'd be in a good position. I thought that TCU was a dark horse to win the conference this year, but without Zach Evans, if that's what's going on, you know, I have a hard time seeing them win. I don't know that this spread is just like hammer Oklahoma though, like because TCU's got some depth on defense, and you're talking about a guy who will be making his first career start if that's the way it turns out. Yep. You know, you know, maybe Oklahoma wins 56 to 20 like they used to, but I don't know that Oklahoma is just one quarterback swap away from being the team that we thought they were going to be. How do you handle this if you're Lincoln Riley? Because I don't know. We know Spencer Rattler is a good quarterback. It's not it's not that he's not. It's that Caleb Williams may be an ultra special quarterback, which it's weird because in in the context of Oklahoma They've had they've had several of those in the last few years. So like they're used to this. This is their normal. Like if he appeared at almost any other program, you'd just be like, what the hell? This yeah. is unbelievable. So now Lincoln Riley's got to manage this situation. And it's, it's the first time I think we've seen it with the new transfer rule the way it is, where look, if Spencer Rattler doesn't wind up being the starter anymore. If he, he could either go to the NFL after this season or he could go to another school and play right away. And, of course, that's probably what he should do. Like, he should sit around and, and be the backup at Oklahoma when he could start in, in a number of other places. But, you know, he's on the team this year. You can't – it makes no sense to go anywhere now because you can't play anywhere immediately now. So, you know, if you're Lincoln Riley, do you, do you try to keep Spencer Rattler involved? Do you, do you try to play him a decent amount to, to keep him – yeah, and, and maybe you try to keep him. There's no, there's no keeping him, dude. If he's not starting okay. and playing every game, like you just, you you go with the best quarterback, and that's the peril of recruiting the quarterback position the way that you're recruiting it, and you let the chips fall where they may. And it's just like what, like Spencer Rattler came into the game, uh, into the season as the Heisman favorite, and potentially the first pick in the draft coming up this year, and like now there's no discussion whatsoever about how how he could play. Uh, or be happy unless he's playing every game, all game. It's like 
there's no solution here. If you have to play Caleb Williams, which it seems like they do, you put the best player on the field, you put your team in the best position. I to mean, win it, as would, many games. it would be crazy if they don't start Caleb Williams, right? That that would that would be there's, insane. What what has Nick Saban taught us about the art of coaching? Feelings aren't aren't important here. It's no. it's a it's about playing the best players and putting your team in the best position to win. And if the well, freshman right. and, quarterback and as a coach, does that, as a coach, you owe it. Yeah, as a coach, you owe it to your team to play the best player. So when you say, how does Lincoln Riley navigate this? I think you go with the best player. And if that player's Caleb Williams, you allow Spencer Rattler to do whatever it takes, whether that means entering the transfer portal yesterday or, uh, you know, playing in spot situations where he excels this year, but he's not going to be happy long-term in this scenario. And no matter what, he's not going to be on Oklahoma's roster next year. If he's not the starting quarterback, he's just not, it's impossible. And it, (laughs) Yeah, we may have this discussion in, in, in quite a few places. You know, we didn't talk about that with Florida, but the, the Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson thing, depending on how that plays out the rest of the season, we might have the same conversation. I think we're going to have that conversation in, in several other places. This is so, going to be a conversation that we have every single year moving forward at multiple places. Absolutely. Times are changing and, with this. Yeah, no. And, and listen, I have no qualms about this because – if you're a K, like one team's capable backup is another team's starter. And if, if you're capable of starting somewhere, you should be able to start. You should be Shout able out to go to Will Levis. To start. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Will Levis would have saved Penn State probably at Iowa, but they didn't think he was better than Sean Clifford. Well, you make that decision at your own peril now. Yep, that's the way it is. Ari, this is going to be a fantastic weekend of college football. I am so happy I didn't vomit all over my screen today. You did uh, good, Al. You did good. I'm not going to – I don't think – this won't be like the banana thing where I'll actually do it again because it's – and again – Have you done the banana not, thing again? Yeah, oh, yeah. I've eaten it like You've, that at home. <laughs> You're kind of a psychopath too. There's no way Maybe it's better little. than peeling it and eating the banana. Uh, it depends on your mood. Wait a second. It's – is the taste difference big enough to 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 make you not want to go through the hassle of peeling it? It's not a. I don't think peeling it's a hassle. I, I think it's a texture thing, and it's also it's also a where the banana is in its life thing. Like so, the only time you want to eat the banana with the peel on is when it is sort of between yellow and brown. So it's got some brown spots on it. Got it. Like, so you get the cake like texture. But if you got a plain, like a bright yellow banana, no, peel the banana and eat it because the the, the peel is going to yeah. taste terrible. Gotcha, gotcha. So, <laughs> Thanks these, for the peel advice. The, these are the tips we give on uh, on the Andy Staples show. Do not follow any of our gambling tips, but do follow our banana eating tips. Yeah, actually, I'm having a really good year, by the way. Uh, so follow our gambling tips. Follow Ari's gambling tips. Don't follow mine. <laughs> if Andy gets super excited about a bet, fade it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is the best advice you've ever given. So we're going to leave it right there. Uh, we'll be back Saturday after the games. Also check out the athletic football show. Robert Mays had a lot to talk about this week uh, with the John Gruden stuff going down. So he will get you ready for the NFL games this weekend. And on Monday, a similar thing to the show that we put out on Saturday night where 
They break down all the NFL games. So you, you get us talking college games Saturday night into Sunday morning. You get them talking the NFL games Sunday into Monday. That's a very full weekend. That's a lot of good listening. We'll talk to you later.